evening comes from the epistle of 1 Peter. We're going to simply read the first chapter of 1 Peter, so please turn there in your few Bibles. We'll be looking at this passage in connection with Lord's Day 9 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which instructs us about our Heavenly Father, who is our, our Father for the sake of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to consider uh, what comfort the knowledge of God as our Heavenly Father gives us as believers. But first, we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1. This is God's holy word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile." knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, 
since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9, you can follow along if you'd like uh, on page 876 in the back of the Psalter hymnal. Lord's Day 9, question 26. The question here is, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth? The beautiful answer, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by His eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ His Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt He will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity He sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because He is Almighty God. He desires to do this because He is a faithful Father. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. We confessed that um, statement tonight, that belief together tonight as we uh, joined our voices in reciting the Apostles' Creed. This is a creed that most of you are very familiar with. We've recited it every week for the better part of our lives. Most of you have this creed memorized. But have you ever thought about the fact that this first article of the Christian faith, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that that creed goes against nearly everything that the world believes today. I want to just for a moment break this first article of our confession apart, just considering how the world might respond to what we just confess to believing this evening. We confess that God is maker of heaven and earth. Oh, the world does not accept that truth at all. Our world believes that no sovereign being created this world. It's the result of a long, uh, personless process of evolution spanning billions of years. Man isn't the product of God's creative Word. Man gets where he wants to go on his own. Survival of the fittest, that's the mantra of our world today. We confess that God is almighty. Oh, that's not a popular doctrine. Maybe people in our society could stomach a God who who helps them out from time to time, a sort of cosmic buddy who's there when they need them. But who really believes in a sovereign God who, who governs everything that comes to pass? No, the world says, I'm the master of my own destiny. I read on the wall at Starbucks, I exist as I am, that is enough. That's the mantra of our world. We confess that God is our Father. Oh, how politically incorrect. How offensive. Really, we should get with the times. Why not God 
our mother, or simply it. And of course, we mustn't offend the animals either. But what do we have left of our confession? God? Yet what kind of God? A God not made in His own image, but a, man, a God in the image of man. Certainly not the God of the Bible. Well, what I hope this little back and forth has shown you is, is how important this first question or this catechism question really is for us to know and to understand. This is an important question for us to think about. Who is your Father? What do you believe concerning God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And this question is so important for us to consider, it's so important for us to understand, because it's the first article concerning what we must believe in order to be saved. This, this article, this confession, belongs to the heart of the gospel. If we don't understand this, we don't understand the gospel. When we first look at it, we might think that it simply has to do with God as our Creator, as the one who made all things. But when we look at it, when we look closer at Lord's Day 9, we read this, I believe in the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He is for the sake of Christ my God and my Father. The Catechism says the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is your God. He's your Father because of Christ, His Son, and all that Christ has done for you. And so when we're confessing God as Father, we're not just confessing Him as Creator. We're confessing Him as the one who has done all that is necessary to save us through Jesus Christ. He has, as, as Peter says, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, what does that mean for our lives? First Peter, Lord's Day 9, give us at least four truths that we're going to look at tonight to guide our lives, to give us comfort through Jesus Christ um, these four truths are these. Because of Christ His Son, God is our Creator. God upholds and rules all things. God provides for our needs, and God turns all things to our good. First, we find here in our confession that the eternal God, out of nothing, created heaven and earth and everything in them. Now, sadly, as we look at the broader church, it's becoming all more evident that the church is becoming infatuated with the theories of men rather than listening to the unchanging, eternal Word of God. I often hear Christians pray, and they use the phrase, Father God, Father God, over and over again. And yet so many of them have utterly rejected God's revelation of Himself in Scripture where He tells us that He is the sole designer and creator of the universe. Certainly the world has rejected this idea, but many Christians, so-called Christians, have in fact replaced God's revelation of Himself with human science that's motivated by secular, unbelieving assumptions about this world. Doctrine of evolution has become ever more popular even within the broader church. But we must understand that when we remove 
creation by the word of the Father. As He has revealed Himself in His word, we've removed the Father too. We cannot reject God as creator and still have Him as Father. When we reject Him as creator, we have denied the Father who through Jesus His Son is both our creator and Savior. That's Peter's obvious conclusion here. When he says in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again, that is, made over again, recreated, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How can God make us over again? How can He recreate us? Because He created us the first time. Because He made us. How could He bring about Christ's remaking? How could He raise His body from the dead? Because He is the source of all created life, and He can do with it what He pleases by the mere power of His Word. You see, that's what we observe at the beginning of Scripture. What did God do? He spoke. He simply uttered, let it be. And the heavens and the earth were created. Time, space, energy, history. The entire world came into being by the simple Word of God. And Peter says, that Word of God lives and abides forever. That creating and that recreating Word is the good news of the gospel that's been preached to you that we now believe because of the Spirit's working. That's what Peter is talking about here at the end of this chapter in verses 23 to 25. He says, you have been born again. You have been recreated by the Spirit of God, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Even though all flesh is like grass, and the grass withers, the flowers fall, but that Word that creating, that recreating Word of God, it remains forever, and that is the Word that has been preached to us, that we believe by the grace of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, confessing God the Father as the Creator is essential to our faith. It's a central article of our Christian faith, and it's good news, thanks to Jesus Christ, because through Jesus, the Father is our creator and our recreator for Christ's sake. But the second truth we confess is that God the Father still upholds and rules all things by His eternal counsel and His providence. God is not like a great clockmaker who winds up His world, sets it up on the shelf, and lets it run out while he sits back and has no interest whatsoever in what's going on in his world. That's not the God of Scripture. No, God the Father rules and upholds all things down to the minutest detail in this world and in your life. And the practical benefit of that, brothers and sisters, is that there are no accidents. There are no accidents. Our lives, your life, is not the result of blind fate. Um, It's not the result of luck or random chance. God's Word is clear. God accomplishes all things 
according to the counsel of His will. We love to make plans as human beings, but ultimately the Lord fulfills His will in our lives. But again, this doctrine is not an impersonal doctrine. This is an essential doctrine for our comfort as believers. It's precisely because God rules and upholds all things, sustaining all things, that we can count on Him to preserve us in our salvation. It's our ruling Father who, who planned and guided the whole event of our salvation because He is our Father for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who keeps you, who preserves you in your salvation so that you will never be lost from His care. It's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who appointed the prophets and directed them to preach the good news for our benefit, who, was, who decided in the fullness of time to give His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the message here of 1 Peter. Peter writes to the church here in the first five verses, and he, he says, you are those who have been called by the foreknowledge of God the Father. Apart from works, apart from anything that you've done, He called you. He has sanctified you by, your, by His Holy Spirit, calling you holy on account of Jesus Christ. He sprinkled you with the blood of Christ and ordained you to obey. Later in this chapter as well, we're reminded that all of the prophets spoke for our benefit. He says in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They wanted to know who the person of Christ was. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but all of you. And the things that have now been announced through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which even angels long to look. As the God who preserves all things, He is also the God who's ordained your salvation, all the means necessary to save you, and He will keep you in that salvation. He is the God who is working all things together for your salvation to make sure that this glorious promise is fulfilled in your life. But do we trust Him? Do we trust Him? It is so easy for us to resist God's will for us, it's so easy for us to doubt His will for us. Often, often we fight God at every turn in the road. We object to what He does. We object to what He asks or demands of us because we are convinced with the, that what God has provided for us is not truly best for us. We sometimes wish we could uh, manipulate the Father, try to change His will, with our prayers and decisions. It's, it's easy for us to say, to confess, God is in control, but then insist that we are too young to die, that we have too many things that we want to yet enjoy in this life, that we are too healthy to become seriously sick, too smart to get into a fatal accident. And so God, the Father, and His will, it'll just have to wait. Repentance and faith and obedience to God's will, it'll just have to wait. But then whom is governing whom? 
So I ask you tonight, brothers and sisters, do you believe, do you believe that God the Father controls your life? He rules it all. He has appointed your time to live. He has appointed your time to rejoice. He has appointed the time for you to know trials. Do you believe that God the Father, because of Jesus His Son, is working all things together for the salvation of His people? That's what we confess when we say that our God is the Creator and Almighty God of heaven and earth. But third, we confess our trust in God the Father who provides for us, who meets our needs. He's not a God who, who fulfills His will by, by sitting back in an inactive, passive way. No, He cares for us. He knows what we need, and He provides so much, the Catechism says, that our confession is this, I do not doubt that He will provide whatever I need for body and soul. Our God is such a good Father that He wants us to know, He wants us to realize that apart from His blessing, everything else that we strive for is vain and empty. He wants us to, to reorganize, reorient our lives around His will for us in Jesus Christ so that we seek from God not just our spiritual needs but our physical needs as well. It's so easy for us to, to think that uh, the physical needs of life are somehow less important, that they are below God, that He is not concerned with them. God tells us we need Him for the needs of our body and our soul, for physical uh, and spiritual healing, for protection. And so we need to avoid that tempting thought, to think that God only cares about the invisible realities of life, but the rest is up to us to make it up on our own. No, because God is our Father through Jesus Christ. He is our Creator and the Recreator, the Healer of our souls and our bodies. He's the Father of all, and He rules all through our Lord Jesus Christ. He rules your business. He rules your children, your money, your possessions, your education, all of it. Do you know the merciful Father who provides for all of His children's needs? Well, the fourth and final truth about God the Father that's, that's outlined in our catechism here, that's taught so beautifully in 1 Peter is this, that God will turn to my profit or good whatever adversity He sends me in this veil of tears. The catechism admits something here that's rather striking. The catechism says and declares that God the Father sends His children adversity. He sends us adversity what we consider from our human vantage point to be evil. And this is certainly offensive. It's offensive to the world. It's even offensive to people in the church. We like to think of God the Father as, as loving, and, and, and that means that He could only send us good things, and that if life does take a turn for the worse, that at least He's there to stand by us. Look what Peter says here in verse 6. He says that though we are blessed with this great salvation inheritance, still in verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, 
You have been grieved by various trials. Why, Peter? Why the trials? He gives us an answer. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, as the outcome of our faith, even through trial, we obtain the salvation of our souls. You see, God our Father is also a disciplining Father who has a purpose in our life, and He wants to purify us to a level of purity that is even greater than precious gold. Why does He do this? Because we are precious to Him. We are precious to Him in Jesus, His dear Son. And so when sickness and trial come, do we see this, difficult as it is, do we see that trial as the hand of our Father in heaven, or do we regard it as a curse? Hebrews 12, 6 teaches us that the Lord disciplines His sons and His daughters because He loves them, because He adores them. Trials come into our lives to prove that our faith is genuine. They come into our lives to assure us of our Father's love for us, to assure us that He is committed to finishing His work of salvation in our lives through whatever means He determines our best. These trials, they come to assure us also that God takes care of His children in the midst of pain and suffering. He's able to do it because He's Almighty God. He, will, he wills to do it because He is a faithful Father that loves us with a perfect love through His Son, Jesus. So, I ask you, brothers and sisters, one final question. Do you know this Father in Jesus Christ? Can you confess tonight and through all of life, yes, God is my Father for Christ's sake. He sent His Son into the world to suffer and to die, to cleanse me from my sin, to bring me to the Father, and now He is glorified and He is interceding for me before the Father, even right now in the midst of my troubled life. And He has promised that I shall be like Him one day because of His Spirit's work in me. God's Word calls you tonight, dear saints, to put your faith Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in His Word. This Word which is living, which is abiding, the good news that was preached to you today, that God is your creating, your ruling, your providing Father, who for the sake of Jesus, His Son, is working all things together for your salvation. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we are so grateful for this confession that we make on a weekly basis. We pray that it would be our daily confession, that You are our great and loving Father for the sake of Jesus Christ, Your Son. You have created this world. Through Christ, You have recreated our hearts that we might love You. 
You continue to rule and govern our lives so that nothing takes place apart from Your will. Oh, Lord, help us to accept Your will. We confess, O oh Lord, in times of trial especially, it is so hard to believe that what is happening to us is really Your work. But, Lord, we pray that You would increase our trust and faith and belief that we might submit to Your hand in all of our lives. We thank You, O Lord, that You know what is best for us, and that as a loving Father, You meet our needs at the perfect way and the perfect time through Jesus. We thank You, O Lord, too, that You are working through all means necessary to conform us to the, the holy image of Your dear Son, Jesus Christ. We ask, O Lord, do Your work in us so that You might be glorified, that Your church might be edified, that we might be fitted for heavenly glory. We will reign with You forever and ever in perfect holiness. We long for that day. Sustain us until that day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.